It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. Oh, yes, of course, we're going to talk about Superfish and Commodia and and what it really means. And of course, nobody better to do that than Steve Gibson. Then 10 of your questions, 10 of his answers. A great security and now is coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 496, recorded Tuesday, February 24th, 2015. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 207. Security Now is brought to you by Harry's. For guys who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now, go to harrys.com. Get $5 off your first purchase by entering the code SECURITYNOW when you check out. And by Citrix Go to Assist. Citrix Go to Assist offers a secure cloud-based solution for IT and customer support professionals to provide live and unattended remote support to their employees and customers working from any computer or mobile device. For a 30-day free trial, visit gotoassist.com. It's time for Security Now, the show where we cover your security and privacy online with a guy who knows more than anybody else out there and is a great explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Gibson of the Gibson Research Corporation. Hey, Steve. Yo, Leo. Great to be with you again, as always. And we have a such a great show that I, I considered dropping the Q&A um, to next week, except that next week we may even top this one. Um, the, as, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, 60 Minutes did a segment which was really unnerving where they, they had a group on who are talking about, in this instance, car hacking, who disabled the brakes on an unlabeled vehicle. It was, it had manufacturing label on it but they like blacked it all out with tape because they didn't want to embarrass the maker of this car although as you Unless, pointed out if you knew anything about cars you probably could figure it out right yeah, yeah i'm sure it like everybody except me knew what that was right. they all all of the hybrids sort of look the same they've got this weird sort of hybrid look to them and so this was i think one of those and they told leslie stall who was doing the segment on 60 minutes to stop in front of the orange cones and so she Puts her foot on the brake and runs right through Not the cones. Out. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out that this group that were a, I guess they were a subcontractor or hired by DARPA to do the research are fans of the podcast. We're going to have them on next week what? to talk about, yeah, to cool. talk about car jacking. And actually, they wanted to broaden it a little bit. They're also big fans of and <clears throat> I guess have done some work on drone hijacking. Oh. So we're. We're going to talk about vehicle hijacking Whoa. and vehicle hacking. Whoa. And because they're, you know, they, you know, it, it's funny because when we were talking, going back and forth in email, the guy said, well, one of the main techies managed to get one line into the 60 minutes program. You know, it's like, yeah, that's a problem. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, you know, we've all done interviews where. They interview us for half an hour, and then almost all of it winds up on the, as they say, on the cutting room floor. So, but for this podcast, because we're techies, we're going to get the whole scoop on like what they actually had to do to take over the cars and what the state of that is. One of these guys is ex NASA, 
and knows all about the what it takes to do formal proving of security because they had to do formal proofs of like space shuttle software correctness in order to you know get you know not to have us like oh wait we need a patch for this no we can't have any patches on this space shuttle software so a great podcast next week and everyone's going to want to catch it but this week of course we had not only our regularly scheduled Q&A number 207 um but major you know like everybody was buzzing in fact twitter was really unusable for me for a day while Everyone who follows me wanted to make sure that I knew about what I'm calling Lenovo's big mistake, Um, because I think that's probably the the best way to characterize it. Um, And then that we have another stunner from Edward Snowden. We've got TrueCrypt back in the news in a good way. Uh, The the fact that the HSTS uh, uh, support is gaining its final major adherent. Uh, some tidbits follows up, uh, follow-ups, and then, of course, 10 questions from our listeners. So not a dull second, I think, this week. Yeah, you know, you've got people glued to their glued to their uh, sets. Do, they, do you use a set? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I asked my sister years ago when my niece and nephew <laughs> were in high use? school. Yeah. I said, what, what, you know, what, TV, what channels do they watch? And she says, oh, they don't watch TV. They no. watch their laptops. Yeah. You know. They, were, they they cut the cord like long ago. One thing though that you know, in the year twenty five twenty five, we'll still be doing. We'll still be doing is shaving. Uh, I saw uh, the box. Yeah, you saw the Harry's box. You rec- you know yep. it so well now. You recognize it. Harry's is a great shave at a fraction of the price that you might be paying if you're going to the uh, drugstore to pick up your. <laughs> I go to CVS to get my fusion blades, and they've got. They practically have chained them to the shelves uh, because they're so expensive. They don't have to be. $4 a blade, forget it. How about half that? A guy who shaves every day spends hundreds of dollars a year just on the blades. Just on the blades. Unless you're a Harry's guy. Harry's is a great way to get a better shave at a much lower price. So you get the best of both worlds. H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. And I always... Include Steve in these ads because he's a Harry's fan. You see, they've got new razors, uh, new handles, kind of cool, colorful handles, the limited edition Ooh, razors. Good, Aren't good, they pretty? Good. Yeah. I like them. Jimmy Chin uh, designs. But they also have the traditional, the Truman set, which is your, your preferred set, $15. The Winston yep. set, that's what I use, $25. Uh, they have a winter essentials kit now. I'm going to tell you how you can get five bucks off any of these, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But let me explain what Harry's is. The, the thing about Harry's that's so cool is uh, they decided to give you a great shave at a fair price by eliminating the middleman. No drugstore. They ship them directly to you. Not only that, they make them, which is uh, – I don't even know if Gillette makes its own blades. What happened when Harry's – the folks who founded Harry's started, they uh, decided that they needed to go and buy a factory in Germany. There were two in the world renowned for their blades. They bought one of them. They engineer them for sharpness and high performance. Uh, traditionally, historically, a couple of big brands controlled almost all the world's major razor blade factories. And that's why they can, if, you know, by limiting supply, they can jack up the price. So Harry said, well, we'll just buy a factory. And uh, and the nice thing is they can tell the factory, okay, we want you to engineer this batch for us for sharpness, for performance, 
and then you also get factory direct pricing. Let me let me talk a little bit about the uh, the kits. So the the Truman kit, the Truman set, which is uh, Steve's preferred set. Uh, you got a choice of four different colors for the handle. They're nice plastic handles. You like them because they uh, they're not perfectly round like the uh, Winston set. So you know it looks you... like they're they're doing the um, the foam also they by are. default rather than the cream. But you can choose. Oh, okay. You can choose. So some people like a foaming shave gel. I think what they discovered was a lot of people have from buying you know the the foaming shave gels for years wanted those. So they do offer yeah. those. Although Steve and I both prefer the shave cream. Uh, it's not an aerosol. You know, it's just like a little tube that you squirt. And I use that every morning. And I, I really love how it smells and feels. And it does give you an extra smooth shape. So look what you get for 15 bucks. You get the handle. You get three blades. You get the shave cream or the foaming gel, your choice. Your choice of colors, orange, blue, white, or green. I'm sure they have better names. Yeah, they do. Olive 107, <laughs> ivory. <laughs> yep. Fruit name. Nautilus yeah. blue oh, and total orange, nice. yeah. You also get, and they, they rarely mention this, but I make a point, the great little Harry's cover that means you could put this in your dop kit and pull it out without cutting yourself. This is great. $15, and you know what? If you use our offer code security now, $10. You get $5 off a checkout on your first purchase. Then what you'll want to do is subscribe to a shave plan so that you get blades regularly, and they, they help you walk through how it uh, – blades and uh, shaving gel or, or cream regularly. Uh, I get mine a lot. I get them monthly because I always – I like to change blades at least weekly. I love – you know, even if, like, it's a it's date night, I'll change the blades. I want a, I want a fresh blade. And you know what? At the price that Harry's charges, you could do that. You don't have to go, oh, I don't know. Maybe I better hold on to this blade a few more days. I love Harry's. I know you will, too. In each kit, you get a razor with a handle that looks and feels great. Three blades, foaming shave gel, and just $15. Plus, use our offer code. It's even less. Amazing deal. A clean shave, a great-feeling shave. You smell great afterwards. You feel great. It's like shining your shoes. It's one of those things that uh, your your dad taught you. You know? Yep. Uh, start yep. the day right with a good, clean shave. And I love doing it every morning with Harry's. My my hairy shave is just hours old. Um, uh, first of all, I you know monitor my Twitter feed, and we're batting a thousand <laughs> in people responding to we've we've never created a Harry's challenge, but they take it as a challenge. Right? You know, is this thing for fifteen bucks or twenty five bucks or whatever they choose actually going to be better than whatever their current beloved shaving system is and i'm seeing the tweets constantly that are oh my god you know i finally bit the bullet and got it and did comparisons and i'm sold so that's what everyone's saying so uh, you need to turn the volume up on your laptop okay and play this youtube link which is the first thing on the show notes here under Commodia. Oh Lord, Lord! It's only about Lord. a minute. It's about a minute and a half, okay. but it's just a just a hoot. All right, YouTube.com. Let's say. Uh, so you want to develop a network interception application like parental controls or anonymizers? Yeah. Maybe you want to do it yourself, or you've already got a working proof of concept on a virtual machine supporting one or two browsers. Now the fun begins. You've got to ensure you're supporting all the current OSs and the 64-bit flavors. What about the five leading browsers? And you'll want minimal conflict with the top 40 antivirus products. Could be you want to support HTTP decoding and SSL decrypting, 
and that's going to get really complex. You could skip doing all this QA, but do you really want your clients doing the QA for you? 12 to 18 months go by and finally you can get to work on your core application. You know, there is an easier way. Introducing Commodia's Redirector, oh. the network interception SDK that allows you to oh. develop your solution instantly. It's used by more than 100 clients, including some Fortune 500 companies, to develop parental control software, anonymizers, game acceleration, and other custom solutions. By using Redirector, you can focus on your core application without getting into technologies like LSP or WFP. With a simple-to-control interface, you can intercept website traffic and network applications oh from any God. programming language. So where do you want to be in the next year and a half? Slaving away with the QA or launching your product? Make the right choice. Oh Commodia's God. Redirector. Oh, this Get is... your free 14-day trial now. <laughs> this is not a joke. That's an no. ad for Commodia. It is a professionally produced, high-quality ad basically saying we're producing an SDK which will keep you from having to roll your own. And what happened was that among many other companies, if we believe them, a hundred others, a company called Superfish said, well, we can barely get out of bed in the morning, so we're going to use the 14-day free trial that Commodia is making available, and we're going to wrap our product around that because boy that really sounds like it's like it will do the trick and save us all that time in you know independently developing that ourselves can, can you explain what it did to i mean i you know oh yeah we're gonna get good there. all right all right oh yeah yeah and then along comes lenovo um who like so many companies today is adding crap to their product. I mean, I'm having to, every time I have, I, I update Flash, I've got to prevent Adobe from installing a trial version of Norton antivirus on my computer. It's like, I, you know, turn that off. I don't want that. But unless I'm careful, I get it. And we, you know, we've talked about all of the crapware for lack of, which is probably the best term for it, which is being installed on 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 stuff you know retail things that we purchase. Did you hear? Uh, I've heard uh, everything you've said about it. <laughs> what well, Renee Ritchie pointed out from this. the How to Geek. Remember How to Geek did a great piece where they use CNET download.com to download a file, and there were ten uh, the top ten, top ten to load with stuff. But they just updated that piece to say, and by the way, two of the adware programs that you get by using download.com have Commodia in them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this so, is everywhere. So so my take is that, first of all, it was going to come to light sooner or later. And Lenovo happens to be, you know, as, as we know, they're now the number one PC producer, right? Or, or they were until last week. Um, and they, unfortunately, chose to preload Superfish onto people's systems and superfish uses the commodia sdk the ad of which or for which we just heard or saw um in order to pull this off now so okay first of all the 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 greater concern sort of the sort of overriding concern is that to some degree this is a generic 
response to the same problem the NSA has been complaining about. That is, the NSA has been complaining about the or or in general law enforcement, the the, the three letter initial organizations, law enforcement generically has been increasingly upset that as in their term, the, the, the problem of the internet going dark because we are increasingly bringing up security. We've got um, efforts that will be going online a few months from now from, from the EFS or EFF, um, the, the, the whole the, – the, the tech, adding the technology to essentially make – encryption free it has it's traditionally not been free because you, you have had to purchase certificates of varying grades and quality and 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 repute from from certificate authorities and in order to drop the friction of going to TLS to zero the EFF is going to be doing this you know we all encrypt effort to essentially automate with your server the process of getting and maintaining an SSL certificate. So even before that, um, you know, there's been major efforts to move us to to security. Google, to their credit, has been pushing this um, and maybe overly pushing it, but still pushing it. Um, and the whole H. Uh, STS, the HTTP, um, uh, you know, HTTPS everywhere effort, um, uh, and and all of that. So, as, as uh, somebody said, five years of progress in securing your transactions out the window in one fell swoop. I okay, mean- so so what's what's so the point is that the internet is going dark and. And law enforcement has been in, has been affected by this, but so too have other services which we have traditionally um, relied upon. For example, um, antiviral software is also doing this. Antiviral software is installing a certificate in our browsers in order to crack open our secure connections in order to do AV scanning inside of SSL tunnels. The, the, it, it's now, so, so, so I, I sort of want to put this in context. We're going to talk about what an extra, unbelievably awful job Commodia has done. But, but, but the, the, the overall view here is that things that we say we want no one is saying they want visual discovery which is the the superfish product which was which was wrapped around or layered on top of commodia's um <laughs> commodia's odious um https proxy but i'm seeing https proxies now being installed by av software because that's the way they're choosing to solve this problem in, in order to, to have visibility into the increasingly SSL, you know, TLS connections that browsers are making. Yeah, but I now, did not ask my antivirus to watch my SSL streams. Who, who, I mean, do you really want that? That's the, the default 
I don't, install... but I didn't ask it to do that. Well, I don't use antivirus, but if I did, that's not what I want to look at. What? Why? Why did you assume at, you're that at... I wanted to do that? Many well, uh, AV tools, as you know, for years have been filtering our our internet connections, trying to catch this stuff before it gets into our computer. And so, if we're saying yes, we want you to monitor our use of the internet, we want you to block, you know, downloading things. We want you to see that something that's coming in, you know, is is bad really on the fly before it has a chance of, of landing and being executed. That's what we're asking for. And so that's what these things are doing now. So we are asking for that. We really are. Yes. Um, and and I, I found myself, I'm thinking, what was it I just done? It might have been malware bytes. Um, I turned that off because I knew to turn it off, but it was on by default. And so... This is this is the way this problem is being solved. Now, is it possible to do this safely? Um, okay, so let's talk about that. Um, um, the it, the 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 jargon that we saw explode across the internet was "man in the middle" attack, and while it's technically true, the man that's in the middle is installed on your computer so this really it wouldn't if done correctly it if done correctly and that's the key um it's unnerving that all of the certificates that you see when you look at websites are actually signed by your av and there is a tremendous responsibility on the AV product to do it correctly because it is so much easier to do it incorrectly and that's the path that Commodia took and that's what's actually mostly upset security researchers because well, for example there's also the larger issue of yeah Commodia is a man in the middle on your system but it then passes it on to Lenovo or someone else, a third party so it's acting as a man in the middle for somebody else. Uh, presumably, um, your Norton is not doing that. What's what's okay? So it, the reason everyone's sort of trying to gloss over this is it is complicated. So what what any of these things do is they put a certificate on you know in your OS. Now we should note this is also what corporate co right. what corporations right. are all doing now sure. because again they have no choice that their their networks users are traffic is if not it, it pro probably mostly today but probably all in some not too distant future going to be over secure connections the the the, the corporate it guys were becoming increasingly blind to what their own corporate it traffic was they want border av in order to do border av today in 2015 you need to crack open ssl connections and and sadly we're there's like there, there, there's no next level of encryption unless unless you do something special. That is to say, unfortunately, credit card information and usernames and passwords are being protected by SSL. Um, you know, I'm 
I don't want to put a plug in here for Squirrel, but of course, Squirrel doesn't even need SSL to be secure. Um, SSL is optional in Squirrel because its own security is so strong, it doesn't rely on that. So Squirrel, you know, using using a different authentication system than just usernames and passwords and trusting the SSL encryption um, does protect you from this. But within a corporate environment, um, you probably have a certificate. And in fact, you know, I've had the, 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 um, the SSL, um, can't remember what I called it, uh, page on GRC now for quite some time, for a year or so, um, when I realized this was going on, I oh, SSL fingerprinting. Um, I, when I realized this was going on, I created a page to allow people to see whether anything was intercepting their certificates. Yep, there it is, fingerprints. Because, because GRC has a view of unfiltered certificates, the actual certificates from the sites, and and if yours doesn't look the same because a fingerprint cannot be forged, then something is interfering with yours. So nobody behind an AV system, which is changing their certs, will see the same fingerprint. Nobody using one of these Lenovo laptops or unfortunately any of these other hundred products, whatever they are, that is using Commodia is going to see the, the same certificate. Okay, so... Um, we want to believe that corporate AV proxies are doing a good job. We want to believe that AV, that is the AV products we purchase and now probably pay an annual license fee, are doing a good job. Microsoft has a, a, a privileged position in Windows and that they don't have to do this in order to provide real-time internet connectivity filtering. And their stuff does this. The problem is they're always a little bit behind the curve. It takes them a few months to, like, you know, add awareness to this. And I did hear just, just today that they've, they've added awareness for Superfish to whatever – you know, brand of, of AV they're now offering. So, so that was a pretty quick response and fast response is what they're trying to do um, with their um, solution. Okay. So what did Commodia do wrong? It's okay. There it's sort of hard to know where to start. The first thing they did wrong. Okay. So to understand the architecture, in order for these to function, your browser must have the the public key of the certificate authority that's the 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 way the ca system works so there is a so when we talk about the root ca store in any of our operating systems windows android mac doesn't matter uh, ios the root ca store those are all of the public keys belonging to the certificate authorities who have signed the certificates of remote servers. So when the remote server sets up a connection with us, we, they have, they've signed the certificate with their private key that they protect 
I mean, that's the that's the crown jewels of any of our certificate authorities. They absolutely protect it to their death. And in fact, they protect it so much now that the certificate isn't signed with their root. It's signed with a, a sub-CA because they don't even want to expose their actual root certificate to even the, the, their own signing process. They're so obsessed with, with security. Nothing gets their private key. So all we have is the public keys. But as we know, that allows us to verify the signature. That allows the web browser to verify the signature on the certificate for that site that we have received. So if you're going to do an HTTPS proxy, if you're going to crack open SSL TLS connections in order to see in them for whatever reason, um, in the case of corporate IT, to to filter the 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 infra the intranets traffic before it gets to you in order to look for malware. In the case of AV, which you have installed on your machine, that AV tool installed a certificate in your root CA store because they are going to, the only way this works, to intercept, they're going to spoof the certificate from the remote website. When they see you wanting to create a connection, they an SSL connection, they intercept that attempt manufacture a certificate on the fly which they sign with their private key. And this is the big weakness of all of these systems. That private key, which is never supposed to leave the depths of a, of a real certificate authority, it must exist in that proxy in order to sign to, to create spoofed remote server certificates, SSL, TLS certificates on the fly. Now, a good implementation of a proxy will create a unique public key to put in your browser, that is to put in your, 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 your root CA store. It'll create a unique key pair, a public key and a private key, Every single time. The worst thing that Commodia has done is to reuse the same private key throughout their entire product <laughs> suite. So not only is it visible on your machine, but everybody's is the same. Yes. And the password <laughs> that protects their private key that's in the Superfish software installed on Lenovo laptops and a hundred other software products is Commodia. <laughs> it 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 took Robert Graham three hours of poking at this thing. It's a great story, by the way. Read his blog post about how he found the password. It's great. Yep. Yep. He he was so, very he says I used ghetto tools. <laughs> exactly. So basically he's just said okay, what the, maybe the simplest dumb thing will work. And it, and did. it did. Yeah. 
And, so and it's the same. Basically, now, what is the password purpose of the password as opposed the, to the, the key? Per, the, the, the purpose of the password is supposed to be um, to, to – you're supposed to have the password in order to decrypt the certificate's private key on the fly. Uh. Oh, okay. So, well, that's why so, you want to use the same one for every machine. Uh, it makes it more <laughs> simplifies well, the not code. Only, not only the <laughs> same password, that would be bad enough. The same but key. The same key. <laughs> the private now, key. What, what does this mean? This means, this is like the Death Star scenario. This means everybody who has any version of the Commodia based software 100 companies including fortune 100 companies we don't know you know they're doing parental control software again these these companies do not roll their own they say ah you're right we saw the ad on youtube we want to save ourselves 18 <laughs> months of painful cross platform cross browser cross everything development we'll take the 15 day free trial get the sdk fire it up oh look how easy it is drop it in off we go we don't have to do all that and every one of these products based on this ha has installed the same public key in the root certificate store on all these platforms so that it's very much like the Hong Kong post office problem, except this is worse because at least the Hong Kong post office's private key is hopefully unknown. In this case, the private key, it took Rob Graham three hours, 180 minutes of of just sort of trying stuff, and he now has it. In fact, it's on Pastebin. Everyone now has it. There's a link to it in the show notes. And all of our listeners you want it. Now, now have it in case you'd like it. And this allows you to do anything you want on any of those machines. You can now create your own certificates for websites, which all of those machines will trust. Okay, now, part two of how bad this is, is that, is that during this connection setup, it's now created a fraudulent certificate to make your browser happy. Now it turns around and it connects to the remote server in order to, to make the connection to that remote server's HTTPS. Unfortunately, it's got the worst set <laughs> of, of security ciphers ever seen. It still has 40-bit, 4-0, 40-bit RC4 and MD5 hash as the cipher, which... You know, which everybody could crack. It does 40 bit, 40 bit DES, not even triple DES, just once. One DES. What? No. It, I mean, this is, this is, these are ciphers. Is this a high school kid that wrote this? What is from ten, that, that we, everyone stopped using. Even I oh, stopped wow. using them 10 years ago. Oh, wow. They're so broken, and this thing supports them all. So, so, all, 
all that anyone would have to do is is be connecting to now. Okay, you not you would have to still have a server on the other end that agreed to this craziness, but th- this demonstrates how bad this software is. Mm-hmm. That that it's willing basically to drop all the way down almost to no encryption in order to to connect to the remote server and and complete your connection. Mm. So there is a site uh, that I linked to in the show notes here, uh, F-I-L-I-P-P-O dot I-O slash badfish, which anyone can use. Uh, it takes a few seconds and it will check your system for whether or not you've got Superfish, Commodia. There's another one called PrivDog, which has come to light through all of this. That's another it's a piece of software people install on their computers not know, knowing what they're doing and how bad this actually is. And as, you know, Leo, you just did it. Now, I'm on a Mac. Got, I'm not vulnerable, or am I? Um, well, Kabodia says you are. <laughs> Mac was one of the platforms. So they make, a, they make a tool for Mac developers as well. Correct. Now you may you okay you so you raise a very important point which I'm glad you did which is that these man in the so-called man in the middle attacks these self-signed certificates that companies put on there are often used for good purposes but it does point out that you have to trust if if it's your antivirus that you have to trust that not only are they trustworthy but that they've implemented it in a trustworthy way or it didn't borrow Commodia code or something or they may even have the best of intentions with that, the best they, of intentions, right? They could also have bugs. They, you know, they could have, you know, like for example, SQL SQL Server. Who thought that a database would cause right. such a problem? Right. You know. So, because it, so should it, we just eliminate self-signed certificates? Is that a bad idea? I think it's really a bad idea. I, I think that that now Windows apparently has some hooks in it, and I've not taken the time to dig in, but. I remember when Microsoft was going to be doing this, Mm -hmm. they talked about making hooks available for traffic filtering, specifically for AV. And I don't know why people are not taking advantage of it. Um, but but people aren't. They're installed. They're just doing this. Maybe you don't have to be doing. You don't have to do this. No, I don't think you do. I, I, I because Microsoft still is smarting from those you know antitrust. Uh, days right. and they didn't want to to have features in Windows that were exclusive to them. As Microsoft has crept into the AV filtering business in Windows, which they're now solidly in, they've had to make those same hooks available to other vendors. Is um, there a way to go through your certificates on a system and see what yes. certificates and delete ones you don't want? Yes, you can look at your root store. And I'm trying to think, what was it that I, oh, I know, it was on Jenny's laptop. Jenny's laptop got a bunch of crapware installed on it, uh, both hers and her mom's. And I went through and and deleted the, the and it was doing this. It was, it, in fact, it may have been, I'm afraid to say this, I think it was Malwarebytes. After I removed Malwarebytes, it left its self, it left its, its public key certs behind. And so I went into the the Windows, it's called personal, I think it's the personal certificates. They're, they're 
um, Windows divides them up into different places. So you can see the ones that have been added and they're pretty obvious that, you know, I mean, they're not like DigiCert and Global Trust and and Symantec there or actually Symantec may have installed some, too. I think I, I have seen, although Symantec, it, it's VeriSign now. So that may be why so those are So would it there. say Commodia the, if uh, you have a Commodia cert on there? Would it say it's It from, probably does. It okay. probably just says, hi, you know, we're Commodia. Trust us. It's yeah. like, oh, no. On the Mac, there's, you know, you just go to Keychain Access and you can see both your personal certs uh, easily and other certificates that are installed and you can go through those. And remove those. So on a PC, is a file that you look at? No, uh, you've got to go into um, uh, an admin tools. You can go in. It's the the certificate manager. Ah, and I think okay. So you, you go to the administrator. You can right click on your computer, select properties, and then go bring up the certificate manager. Yeah, there. but it's not it's not surfaced on all systems. Sometimes uh, you have to go in into the run dialog and go C E R T. M, MGR.msc or something like that okay. in order to get to the... But it's certainly just Google, you know, how do I get to Certificate Manager in Windows? And, and there's lots of stuff there on the net. Sounds and like then anybody you, who listens to this show should be doing that. You're all sophisticated I really, enough to do that. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. Wow. Uh, and for what it's worth, the show notes have a ton of more links to all of these things we've been talking about. Get your own copy of the private key if you want, and and so forth. <laughs> Where do you? Uh, yeah, I search for certificate manager, and I uh, on this fifty nine dollar tablet, <laughs> actually, and it, and it and it popped right up, so I can just, oh, good. I can just run that. <laughs> My fifty nine dollar tablet. Um. Uh, okay. Good. People yeah, should so, probably do so, that. It may break so, some software, though. It may break your antivirus. Yeah, I would say. You know, see whether see whether um, what you see looks like something you want. For example, in corporate IT, you you don't want to be deleting the certificate that your 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 gateway AV has installed, or you'll you won't be able to get on the net at all. I mean, yeah. you'll, you'll quickly know that was a mistake. Um, so don't don't d- discard these with abandon. I know that our listeners. I have been having fun with this ever since we've been talking about how how I want to say rich and deep the the certificate store the root store has has grown there are people who are seeing her experimenting our listeners experimenting with how few they can survive with and the fact is it is your t- it's a very steep exponential decay where you know if you you go from 450 down to 10 and pretty much all of the internet that you care about is being served by by the ten largest certificate authorities on the net, and then and then it just you know nobody is. I mean, how how often are you actually encountering a certificate signed by the Hong Kong Post Office? Right. Maybe never, but it's there. So so you could you could that's the kind of thing you could safely delete. Um, yeah, and I see that for some reason and. Uh, some weird certificates in my Apple as well. I might want to just take those. Uh, Do not confuse Komodia, which is K-O-M-O-D-I-A, with Komodo with a C. Actually, Komodo is uh, in the doghouse too. They're what? the people. Yes, Komodo. Um, the the CEO of Komodo is involved with this Priv Dog tool which is in some some people are feeling is even worse than Commodia. 
and I thought it was interesting that that Komodo, who is unfortunately a a, a certificate authority, they have a they have another. Um, branch, or, or I guess it's Komodo themselves, who are selling software, which is doing some of this same stuff. Yeah. I should have asked. We had Gregor Freund, as you know, on yesterday. He was the guy who yeah. created the first popular firewall product, and which we recommended Zonalarm. heartily for many years. Uh, Zonalarm. Yeah, we didn't recommend the color. The, the, the color scheme was really annoying. <laughs> But uh, bright red. But, uh, oh my God! Uh, orange, did it make a noise? I feel like red. it might have made a noise too. Like anyway. <laughs> well, I think it was just when you, your just, eyes saw it, and there was like some neural feedback uh, of some sort because it was like. But oh. would he, would even that's ten, more than ten years old? Would that have used? Would all firewall software do this kind of stuff? No, no, because that was just that was just looking at IP addresses and and packets and 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 blocking where they were going to, and that's on the outside. It didn't of have to inspect the, the stream in the contents correct. of the stream to do this. It's the so-called deep inspection. If something's that's doing in deep trouble. inspection, yeah. the only way to do it is to crack these things open. In fact, one of the other consequences of this we've we've talked about is that this also breaks all the caching that ISPs are doing. And there has been some rumblings that it may before long become a requirement for customers of ISPs to, to install their the ISP's public key in their root store to allow the ISP to crack open your secure connections for the sake of, of caching in order to decrease their bandwidth. Because the problem is this absolutely, you know, SSL creates a a one-to-one association between your browser, hopefully, and the remote server. And, um, and that's having a real impact on ISP bandwidth. Let's hope that doesn't, never happens. Aye, 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 I mean, that, that's, aye, aye. oh. Um, and where would we get your show notes? People are listening going, okay, I want your show notes. Is that at uh, grc.com slash security now? Uh, I always tweet the, I tweet the link just before the show. So it's in the Twitter stream. Um, so, uh, and it's always the same format. Um, and so, and they're always linked. So, okay. So you go to grc.com slash SN and then look at the show notes for last week, which are the third, it's the third icon. And then just add one to the number. That is the URL is just, you know, it just increments. Okay. It's something like, I don't have it right here in front of me. It's, you know, at SGGRC on Twitter. Just go twitter.com slash SGGRC and you'll see the link. And you'll see it right there. Yes. I'm so scared now. I'm willing not to have anything do deep packet inspection on my system. I agree. I, I think <laughs> I can live I think, without see, that. Thank you. The the problem is with doing that comes great responsibility. Right. And I don't trust and, anybody. And Commodia demonstrates how irresponsible it's yeah. possible to be. Yeah. And the problem is even well-intending AV tools, they've, you know, we're requiring, we're hoping that they're not going to ma- be making any big mistakes. Right. And Unfortunately, this is a lot to to verify, and I agree with you, Leo. I think it's better just to say no. I, I don't I want that. anything cracking my track I, my traffic I, open. I want my traffic to Amazon and my bank to remain encrypted. You know, of course, if you're using PGP, if you're using a, 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 your own personal layer, layer, you're safe. Exactly, but and, you're not with Amazon and your bank because they no. don't support that. 
Right. Um, in fact, that that's a nice segue into our next story because in a uh, the Intercept um, dropped the news from another tidbit from Edward Snowden that uh, GCHQ, the UK's equivalent of our NSA, in cooperation with the US NSA, infiltrated the network of Jamalto. Jamalto is the, not quite the sole source, but for all intents and purposes, the sole source of the world's SIM cards. They produce 2 billion SIM cards per year. Um, they're a multinational firm incorporated in the Netherlands. Um, their clients are AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, the big four in the U.S., and 450 other wireless network providers around the world. Jamalto operates in 85 countries, has more than 40 manufacturing facilities, um, uh, and they've got a major one in Austin, Texas, and a large factory in Pennsylvania. Um, So, essentially... What we learned, and this is the slide, this is the, the, the picture of the week on the front page of the show notes, is the, is the slide where, where the, the, the Snowden captured and has revealed. The, essentially, um, their network was infiltrated some number of years ago, and GCHQ was bragging that they now had all of the private keys in all of the SIM cards that Jamalto has been producing. And how many is that? That's all of them, <laughs> essentially. They sell two billion a year. Yeah. So it sounds so, like it's all of them. <laughs> it's pretty much all of them. Uh all the US carriers use Jamalto. Everybody does. Yep. Everybody. When I saw the name, it's like, okay, I know the name because that's where the SIM cards come from. Sim, so there's no sir, there's no other company. It's all Jamalto. It's basically Jamalto. <laughs> there are there are some others like you know because there's always room for one more. You gotta but admire nope. the NSA. <laughs> I mean, they're, they've obviously hired some the best hackers they could afford. You know, Leo. They they I've been approached at earlier phases of my life, and I remember thinking, eh, working for the NSA would be boring. I was wrong about that. No, they, the only I the don't smartest think, people work there. They, yeah, I mean, they've got mathematicians, but it's the hackers at the NSA who are busy. Well, you remember that scene in Goodwill Hunting where they they try to hire uh, the the mathematic genius. Yeah, of, uh, of, uh, uh, and then he says, "Why should?" They said, "The question you should ask yourself is why shouldn't I work for the NSA?" And he has actually a, a long, it's on YouTube, but very good answer. So why do you think I should work for the National Security Agency? <laughs> well, you'd be working on the cutting edge. Yes, you'd you would. Exposed to the kind of technology that you wouldn't see anywhere what else. What year was this? Classified this is like 1997? Right? We didn't know. Oh, 97? We, we nope. did not know <laughs> how right they were. <laughs> oh, boy. And how right Will was, if you listen to his answer. So... With the stolen encryption keys, intelligence agencies can monitor mobile communications without seeking or receiving approval 
from telecom companies or foreign governments. Basically, that's the keys. That's the keys. Yes. They can get anything they want. Possessing the keys sidesteps the need to get a warrant or a wiretap and leaves no trace on the provider's network that the communications were intercepted. Bulk key theft, such as this, enables intelligence agencies to unlock any previously encrypted communications they had already intercepted but did not yet have the ability to decrypt. As part of the covert operations against Jamalto, spies from GCHQ with support from the NSA mined the private communications of engineers and other company employees throughout multiple countries. Jamalto was totally oblivious to the penetration of its systems and the spying on its employees. Jamalto has refused to comment other than to say that they had no prior knowledge that the agencies were conducting the operation against their network. Matt Green, our cryptographer friend at Johns Hopkins, explained to The Intercept that broke this story, quote, gaining access to a database of keys in pretty, is pretty much game over mm. for cellular encryption. Mm. So, um, okay, what you so want to know the, is what... What uh, SIM cards does the NSA use? Because yeah. I bet it's not Gibraltar. <laughs> the reason this this was a perfect segue that you the, you brought us into was you mentioned that the problem with 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 the lack of trustworthiness of TLS that is of HTTPS now is that we're relying on it for protection of in the in the clear data. Um, credit card numbers, usernames, passwords. You know, um, when I'm looking at my credit report, it was delivered over SSL and, and I'm looking at my social security number and I'm, you know, answering questions and confirming things to the website. So that is our sole wrapper of encryption. And so it is not TNO. Obviously, we, we, we never claimed that it was. But the good news is that, that we, we do have TNO solutions that are essentially encrypting within our cell phone communications. So when you, lo- when you use the encrypted, the encrypted verbal and text communications, them having the decryption key for the wrapper of that that is the the external tunnel no longer helps them so so you know this is why having iMessage encryption even though it's you know of dubious value with apple maintaining the keys i i would argue that you know for most communications iMessage is safe you just can't absolutely depend upon it you need to use something like like threema or one one of the other tools where you you have abs where you're you're carrying the obligation of managing the keys, but the flip side is nobody else has them. So just to finish on the topic of, of the G, uh, GCHQ and the NSA and cell phones, 2G was the original platform. Remember, and I've talked about this through the years, I, I remember ha- like 
telling my attorney when I was using first generation analog cell phones that we I, we, I, we, I would like we'd stop the conversation at some point and I would say, Wayne, um, I'll, I'll call you back on a landline once I get to the office because I knew from my own experience, you could just get a cheap police scanner and, and it would scan the, the frequencies that cell phones at the time used, and you could hear people's conversations. And some of them were, <laughs> I mean, it was entertaining um, because it was, there was no encryption. Then we went to 2G, which is the current, do, still the dominant platform globally, and that encryption is trivially cracked. So you don't really even need the keys for 2G, that's that that's you know the NSA can cut through that like butter, and it is still the dominant platform. But 3G, 4G, and LTE, that's not crackable. You need the keys for those. And now we know GCHQ, with the help of the NSA, basically attacked the Jamalto network, got in, infiltrated, did what they call implants on a number of their servers. And has have exfiltrated the database that that relates the the SIM card to its private key, which you otherwise would not have. They make that data available to the carriers. That is, the carriers have to have that in order to decrypt what this SIM card is doing. That is, they have to know the the the, the private key of the SIM card. Nobody else is supposed to know. Well, now we know. That, as you said, Leo, got to give them credit. Um, they have all of They're those. Good. And the, and understand, too, that the other thing, that the other factor here is that SIM cards were never introduced originally for privacy. They were introduced to control billing fraud. Oh, that's Because billing fraud, ah. well, yes. And so the whole SIM card supply chain never really had security as its focus it was it was to 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 bring fraud down which was rampant in the early days of analog cell phones so and so when they went to sim cards it was a billing it was a billing hook but as a consequence not that much you know security surrounded the whole supply chain uh f- from one end to the other and as we know uh, the weakest link in security is is what will get Attacked and, yeah. and cracked. Yeah. Um, TrueCrypt. Uh, an update. This was a tweet actually by Matt Green, uh, who has been overseeing the audit of TrueCrypt. The good news is the the audit of TrueCrypt, that final version, seven point one A, is underway. Oh, good. Um, so we'll remember that late in twenty thirteen. They brought up the very first crowdfunded audit of TrueCrypt and raised seventy thousand um, dollars. Part one was finished, and it examined only the boot and the startup, the initialization process, and came out with a clean, um, a, a clean slate. Then part two which is the much more challenging part, was going to be the detailed look at the cryptography of TrueCrypt from the symmetric encryption through the random number generator and basically everything else. But then we all got blindsided when late uh, uh, in the spring of 2014, uh, the TrueCrypt authors 
decided to throw in the towel and pull the plug on the True Crypt project. Um, after recovering from the shock of that, taking a look at like where things stood, talking to attorneys and so forth, they've decided they're going to move forward. A group called the NCC Groups Cryptography Services is has the contract to perform the Phase 2 audit. And, and Matt wrote that uh, they will be evaluating the original TrueCrypt 7.1a and are to begin shortly, however, to minimize price and make the donation stretch farther. They're going, they, they've allowed the start date to be a bit flexible, uh, so they don't, well, he said, which is why we don't have results yet. But it is, it is underway, and that's the one they're going to be doing. A lot of people have asked me, what about this or that spinoff? And for what it's worth, the attorneys have examined the license agreement, and all the spinoffs are illegal. It is not legal to do anything with the source code. All we can do is look at what we've got and continue using that. So people may or may not care about the legality of, of that, but it's a little dicey then, you know, taking cryptographic software from somebody who you know is breaking the law and who knows they're breaking the law. And finally, uh, IE is the last browser to adopt HSTS, the strict transport security for HTTP uh, in Windows 10. Um, it will be, it, it's, in the it's in the technical preview um, either now or coming, but uh, IE was the last browser uh, that, you know, of, uh, in heavy use that did not support HSTS. And there are a couple interesting things. Um, there is a site hstspreload.appspot.com. That's a site that allows anyone who has a server that wants HSTS preload to, to add it to the Chromium um, list, which all the browsers are now using. Firefox and Opera and even IE will be using the Chromium, the official Chromium preload list. GRC.com has been on it now for quite some time. And in fact, if you put GRC or yeah, GRC.com into hstspreload.appspot.com, it'll it'll verify. It'll say, oh, GRC.com is already in the list. Um, and uh, there's another cool thing you can do with Chrome. A, a fancy URL. If you put in Chrome colon forward slash forward slash net hyphen internals forward slash pound sign hsts that takes you basically to a browser of the chromium preload list and you can then put things like grc in grc.com and oh, it'll pop up and show you yep uh you know you you're in the browser and it allows you to easily see who's in and who's not, uh, but you can also use hstspreload.appspot.com to not only to query the official global list, but to submit your own server for inclusion. And the reason that's important, just to, to finish this topic, is that the one weakness of HSTS is that the very first time a browser goes to a server which is issuing HSTS headers, if that first, that first contact were intercepted and 
the S was removed from the HTTP S, then they could downgrade your security and the user would never know. Once that contact has been made, though, over a, an SSL TLS connection, HS, HTTPS, then the server will, will give the browser permission that lasts for like a year. It's three million something minutes. I can't remember the number now, but it's a long time. Uh, and GRC has been issuing that, that header for quite a while, ever since I went to uh, HSTS, that is HTTPS everywhere. And, of course, an increasing number of sites are doing that now. Um, once the browser has that, then it knows to silently upgrade any HTTP connection to HTTPS, and then the man in the middle never has a chance to actually uh, in intercept and interfere. A um, couple of little bits of miscellany and errata. Um, I... I, I in talking about uh, HTTP2 last week, I had a lot of fun talking about the the Lempel ZIV compression and how that how that worked and how by using a single compression context across all of the streams, you automatically got header compression. That's true, and HTTP2 does that, but the the surfacing of crime, which was the, one of the which was an attack on compression, people will remember that that there was a, a very clever way of of probing the data being compressed by changing it by using the essentially compression artifact using the change in size that that Zlib, the, the, the gzip library used, it was possible to reverse engineer the data what, that was being compressed. So after Zlib or Zlib was already in use for Speedy, crime occurred and they backed out of using standard Lempel ZIV style compression and went to, a, to essentially the same thing, a shared context but where specific headers are are, give, are pre tokenized essentially because the headers are just not they're they're so well known things like you know user agent and cookie and and URL and so forth that that, that are that are so well known those are pre assigned to tokens and then then there is a a context maintained which so it's such that subsequent streams only talk about the the deltas from uh, the stream before. So I just wanted to, to for to, to for the sake of completeness uh, to correct that. Also, I wanted to mention that Citizen Four, which is the movie I talked about after staggering out of the theater and and being so impressed with it, um, it is now airing on HBO. It's just shy of two hours long. Uh, it it won an Oscar on Sunday for the best documentary. Um, it ranked it scored an eight point three out of ten on IMDb, and something I've never seen before on Rotten Tomatoes, ninety eight percent. So you know, and, and I'm I, I think the movie is absolutely worth seeing. It. Um, I you, people who listen to the podcast will remember 
that what I, the way I described what I learned from it was I came away with a, a much better appreciation of the notion that even though I may not be super concerned about privacy for myself, I came away with a much better respect for the fact that privacy is a right that 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 I should respect other people's concern for to a greater degree than I think I had before I saw the movie. So, um, I, again, I commend everyone to to check it out. It is, you know, it's the story of of Edward Snowden, but really well done. I mean, basically, they had the foresight to always have a camera running from their very first meeting when 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 Laura and Glenn walk into the hotel room and have no idea who this guy is. I mean, absolutely none. We get to see all that. There's a lot of stuff that has not been seen before. Um, so I, I thought it was really good. It's on uh, iTunes and Google Play as well if you don't have an ah, HBO. Good. Good, good, good. Yeah. And have have you seen it yet, Leo? I have not. I will watch it tonight. I really recommend it. It's yeah. it it really is. It's it's. I mean, we sort of think, my God, more Snowden. How 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 could there be anything we don't yet know? And it turns out, I I you know I know as much as we all do. And I was I was really impressed. It's really worth. I think it's a very worthwhile movie. I, you know, speaking of privacy, and I you know, and you and I, you to to some degree, I to a much greater degree. I'm not worried about my privacy because I'm kind of living in public anyway. But I agree with you. I think it's uh, we certainly should consider that. Somebody uh, in the chat room, and I just wanted to circle back a little bit to the uh, yeah. the uh, Commodia thing, said, well, Leo, you're not concerned about privacy. Why would the Commodia thing bother you? It's not merely privacy. It's a security issue as well. Yeah. We should emphasize that. It's not merely that somebody can see your stuff. It's that it's so well, poorly implemented, a bad yes. guy could take advantage of it. Yes, and that's exactly it, is that um, we don't even know, no one's even looked yet at what bugs this thing might have. But imagine, I'd be surprised if it didn't have buffer overruns in it. How could it not with it being such a piece of crap? So, so that, so that, you know, so that any, you know, anyone using it, surfing the net, who, and, and by the way, I mean, it, it, it's going to be obvious to a server that this you're probably using Commodia because who else would be advertising this cipher suite? I mean, this <laughs> no ridiculous. No one else would do this. <laughs> oh my lord! I mean, you, you, it, it's either it's either a browser from prehistory, you know, IE two, or it's it's Commodia in 2015. So so you know you could probably probably no problem at all, you know sending malware back up that connection taking over the user's computer and and boy you sure do not want their their um root certificate for which everyone on the planet now has the private key you don't want that matching public key in your root store of your, of your computer uh, wow okay i'm sorry i didn't mean to distract you from a season no, no, four glad. everybody should watch i will be watching it uh, tonight, um, and I yep. was so pleased to see that they won the Oscar. That was great. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I just I am now through with number three uh, book in the Expanse series. I finally know why it's called the Expanse. That's all I'll say about that. Um, apparently, some people felt that I did a bit of a of a um, uh, spoiler. I can't think of a spoiler. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, thank you. A bit of no wonder I couldn't remember the word. I hate the idea that I would have done that. Um, but when I when I went to search for a word that I used, I was shocked that it was so far back in the book. I thought the word, the term I used, was was something we encounter much sooner. So I really apologize if anyone felt. Actually, it turns out that what I said was more of a tease that isn't exactly correct. Or I mean, I. Even though it seemed like a spoiler, it actually isn't. So I'll, I'll let you figure out what that means. Um, I did also learn that the 10-episode sci-fi series coming out sometime later in 2015 is just book one. I was wondering, wow. like, how much they had stretched it, how much they were going to do. So that's cool. Now, I'll say of book, because I said the book two was better even than book one. Book three, I think, it felt like it had been stretched out a little bit. I mean, there was a lot that happened. It was fun. I like the guy's writing style. And actually, it's a pseudonym for two people. Leo, why do people do pseudonyms? Or, or no, well, um, you know, what do they call King it? Stephen King famously did because he wanted to write uh, uh, books in the genre Westerns. So he wrote him as Richard Bachman. Yeah, so he wrote as Richard Bachman because he didn't want people to say, oh, it's a Stephen King novel and then say, oh, it's, uh, a, it's a Western. So that would be one reason. Uh, why O. Henry used O. Henry instead of his uh, real name is beyond me. I don't know. Um, so people just choose to for some reason. Privacy, <laughs> security. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's a anyway, really good so question. This is a, I don't know. It, 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 you know it, it, the book says it's by one guy, but Wikipedia knows better. It's a couple guys. Uh, anyway, so three, uh, absolutely worth reading. I've not started in a book four yet. Um, Mark Thompson said that I would be a little less impressed with four. I don't know what that means yet, but uh, so far, I really, I really, I mean, I like the characters. I, I really, I know, it, it's great. It's not it's not at the very, very pinnacle of the books we've recommended, the Hamilton stuff, the the Michael McCollum novels, um, you know, the, the, the Pornell Niven stuff. I mean, that's world class. This is maybe just a notch below, but, you know, when you're looking for something, and, and they're on Audible, too, so... Um, uh, I'm I'm putting them on my list. Consider that. I yeah, have two credits uh, waiting for me. Uh, actually, you've already got the first one. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's the one where he's drifting through space debris, looking for stuff to scavenge. Right? Yeah, definitely good. Yeah, stuff. So, um, and I got a fun note from someone who apparently isn't too familiar with me because he call he referred to me as Dave. Uh, Dave. So it, <laughs> hey, his Dave. Name is, it's, uh, it, it's na- his name is Fred Elbel, and the subject was testimonial for Spinrite. And this came through Sue. So he says, Dave, this is a testimonial for Spinrite. You may place the following text on your website, but you may not publish my email address. And nor will I publish your use of my name, Fred. Um, I guess his <laughs> name is Fred. My name, of course, is Steve. Um but this is so he's not a podcast listener. He's and so in fact this explains it. He says, after doing a backup of an old XP system, it failed and would not boot because of a boot drive error. I wasn't sure that the backup had even completed okay. Then I remembered reading about Spinrite and wondering what the heck it actually did. After reviewing the material, watching the videos, and reading testimonials. I decided to give it a shot. I created a Spinrite CD image on another system and booted it up on the bad system. I then ran it in level two against the bad drive. The next morning, the computer had powered off. So I ran Spinrite again. It completed in an hour or so. At that point, 
the computer booted and ran flawlessly, exclamation point. Wow. Spinrite is a fantastic tool, he says. we agree. And is certainly worth the purchase price. Fred, Denver, Colorado, USA. And for the record, my name is Steve. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Dave. (laughs) We're going to take a little break. When we come back, questions and answers from Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. But first, I think I made up that middle name. Is it in your Wikipedia still, though? Somebody added it to your Wikipedia page. I think as as for fun, they did. Why yeah. not? Why not? Let's Why have some lay fun. claim to that middle name if I could. Our show today brought to you by a program that if you are in IT or support, you ought to know about. I'm sure you do, right? The number one global market leader in remote support for six years running. I'm talking Citrix Go to Assist. It's got to be tough if you're in IT. I mean, you've got remote mobile employees. They're constantly, you know, screwing things up, and you've got to fix it. And more, more to the point, you've got to fix it fast and leave them smiling. You can't, you've got to suppress your rage and use Citrix Go to Assist. It lets you handle urgent tech support requests quickly. You'll not only maintain productivity, you'll make people happier. More smiles from your customers and your clients making sure your network security is never compromised of course a number one priority and citrix go to assist i'm proud to say is absolutely secure unless your client's using commodia i don't know what happens then it does use ssl i'm sure it's fine but the first thing you might want to do is go through those certs on your client's machine and get rid of commodia it's an easy to use cloud-based remote support solution that lets you and your team solve problems faster than ever to my knowledge, there has never been a security issue with GoToAssist. It is absolutely flawless. I use it all the time. My, it's my mom's favorite app. She says, I love seeing you mouse around on my computer while you fix things. <laughs> GoToAssist, it's easy to set up. You can do it in less than a minute, whether you're supporting one coworker, 10 employees, 1,000, or one mom. Mom's the most demanding client of all. Screen share to diagnose and fix uh, problems faster and more effectively. You can see their problem. That's kind of cool. And then say, oh, yeah, I know what's wrong. <laughs> what did you install? And use GoToAssist apps to deliver support anytime, anywhere. For you, this is so convenient. You can support people from your iPhone, your iPad, your Android device. It's so great. I, if you work in IT, you've got to try it. And we have a really easy way for you to do this. Just visit GoToAssist.com. Click the Try It Free button, and that's it. 30 days free with no contract, no credit card needed. The price is absolutely right. It's great software, but it's free for 30 days just by clicking that button, and you don't have to sign up for anything. I really like it. Go to assist.com. Click the Try It Free button. If you're not using Go to Assist, why not? Steve Gibson, he's here to the rescue. You know, an interesting attack, I've sort of been thinking while you were talking, yeah. would be anybody in a... In an open Wi-Fi environment, uh, you know, hotel, cafe, whatever, um, could intercept someone's HTTPS connections yeah. and just send them back a Commodia signed certificate. Oh, and, and just if stick there's, it on there. If they're, well, if their browser accepts it, then that oh. just says, okay, good. Oh. We get to filter their entire conversation. And it's just that easy. I mean, so I mean that that so the man in the middle attack is 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 to to the degree that they're 
was something going on with a third-party server, and you're right, there was. It was never exactly clear what, although in all of the futzing around that Lenovo and and um, Superfish did, they, they've talked about, oh, shutting down third, the, the third-party data polling or whatever the hell it was doing. So there, there did seem to be some skullduggery yeah. about, you know, doing something with the data that they were intercepting. But, but even absent that, having that commodious cert on your system really does open you for a, a, an attack just that simple. Anybody in the middle can just grab a connection, see if your browser accepts it. If not, oh, nothing gained, nothing lost. But if it yep. does, bang, they completely own uh, all of your secure traffic. Terrible. Yeah. And a lot of people just say, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay. Must be Microsoft. Question number one in our listener-driven potpourri <laughs> uh, from Kai Harder, Frankfurt, Germany. He's noticed a new phishing trick. Steve, I recently received a clickbait spam email. You can see my private photos here, said the link. Examining the email sources you recently advised told me the link led to a shortened URL. I was about to delete the message when I saw an unsubscribe link near the bottom. Sure enough... Same URL. Maybe this was all, of course. Maybe this is old news to you, but I wasn't familiar with this scheme before. You regularly warn people about not clicking links in email, but you got to include unsubscribe links in here because this is a really nasty one that people might not think of. I am yeah. always clicking the unsubscribe link. I, I actually, I'm guilty of unsubscribing to email that is unsolicited right. from people I know. So, I mean, and and. I I mean, it is dangerous, but, you know, you get on mailing lists and you're hoping that they're going to honor your unsubscribe. So, I mean, it's things like Twitter. Twitter just, I keep, you know, they, they, they're they trying to commercialize and, and incentivize and amortize and, <laughs> and monetize Twitter. And so I'm getting crap from them that I don't All want. And so, yeah, so I trust them to, you know, to honor and unsubscribe. But, but... The reason I grabbed this was it is it is this is the way people are getting crypto wall on their machine. This is the way that GCHQ is penetrating, you know, the employees of of Jamalto. This is the so, you know, you know, ostensibly good people are using it to get in and get the information they feel they need. And we know the bad guys. I mean, this is the vector. It is social engineering email. And, uh, and I'll just like this because that, uh, you know, you get email you don't want. And so, boy, even if you're smart enough not to click on the, you know, the nasty private photos link, you see, oh, look, but I can stop getting more of these. Uh, uh, you know, and before you know it, your drive's encrypted. Yeah. Well, uh, I do it on a Mac, so that's probably all right. Or a Chromebook. That would even be better, right? Do it on a Chromebook. And then even if that unsubscribe link leads to something nasty. Yeah. Well, and I, and don't I do give it, any credentials either, right? I do it with Flash, Java, and JavaScript Turned all off. disabled. Yeah. So, But so if you don't, I mean, well. if you click unsubscribe and it says, oh, and by the way, what's your credit card number? I would not give it to them. <laughs> that yeah. would be another thing. That would be a bad sign. Bad idea. Uh, June Pei in Mountain View, California, excuse me, had a question about embedded spy firmware and hard drives. 
Did we we found out about that this week? Did we talk about that last week? No, yeah, uh, actually, we did. We did cover yeah, we did okay. cover it in la- in the podcast. Yep, because it was the Kaspersky Security Conference. Exactly, yeah, yeah, there, there, was, there was underway just as we. It was like on day two, right. and they had announced it on day one. So, uh, with Kaspersky finding that spook firmware on Western Digital and Seagate drives, among others, uh, do whole drive encryption tools such as the trusty TrueCrypt defeat? The ability of the spooks to see what's on a compromised machine. I'm, I've been reading what others are saying on some net forums. The idea is firmware like this would use any OS it was aware of to do its bidding. From what I know about computers, as soon as firmware like BIOS loads the OS, the OS takes over. So how could firmware even listen for incoming connections to the machine or exfiltrate data? Also, if that's possible, so, wouldn't simple packet captures reveal that's what's going on? Okay, so this is... This is an instance of us not having enough information. Right. One of the one of the things that is important for people to understand because I've been flooded with people asking if Spinrite could like fix with you know fix this. It's that Kaspersky did or Kaspersky did not find the spook firmware on any drives oh. because you ca- you can't. What they found was the evidence of it in the dropper, which is where all of the awareness of those different drives, makes, and model numbers was. Yes, yes. So because the firmware, you can't see it. It's write-only. The API, the firmware API doesn't let it be read back. And once it's written, it protects itself from being overwritten. So you can't even, you know, refix it by updating from the manufacturer's good firmware. It gets in there and it protects itself because it's got all the keys. It's the firmware that decides what the firmware should do. So, so it's like a rootkit in that regard. It is. It is exactly. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention that Commodia makes rootkits also. Yeah, that's handy. It's uh, <laughs> a full service uh, hacker. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we, a link that we didn't go to in the show notes that I meant to, the Commodia site went, immediately went offline, and I don't know why. They immediately they they immediately declared they were DDoSed. Oh, except please. that DDoS page came right up, yeah. and then but I had already seen the site because I you know thanks to my Twitter followers I was clued into this thing immediately. I went to Commodia because I drilled down, figured out where the real problem was. It was with them. Browsed around their site, and then a while later when I went back, it was DDoSed. Ah, but I remembered the old internet archive mm. and so i went i went back and i have archive links in the show notes their product list is a hoot and a half <laughs> because they're just oh yeah ssl reception we got that root kit you like a root kit we've done all the hard lifting of the root kit just click here and you get your root kit for two weeks free trial so um do yeah. you think it's just some guy like a 19 year old who said ah, this would be a good business Boy, I bet he's been making some money, but it's, I think that game's up. Yeah. I mean, you saw the ad. The ad was, was well done. Super, oh, my God. I'm sure that even if – say say that the Superfish people said, hey, Lenovo, you know, we're going to – we'd have, be happy to pay you to install this crap on your laptops. And the Lenovo engineers say, ah, we're really not sure who's this Commodia. Oh, go look at, check out the YouTube, nice the, the YouTube ad. They're there. These guys are on the up and up. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. 
So anyway, um, what a world. What I wanted to say was that we cannot see the firmware on the hard drives. No one, not even Kaspersky, has been or Kaspersky um, has been able to see the firmware on the hard drives. All they ever found was the installer. So we don't actually know much about it. We know that um, that when the that what firmware could do. And we know that we believe that it substitutes the boot sector for its own. So when the boot sector, which which the BIOS jumps to in order to start things going, when that happens, the firmware could supply a different one. Now, the question is, would the drive being encrypted render this ineffective? And I'm strongly inclined to say yes. Because there was this, there was also this sense of which file systems that firmware was aware of. It knew about FAT and NTFS and EXT2 and and a couple others. But the fact that it was fire fire file system specific makes me think. Well, then there are a lot that you know it, it might have a problem if the what's physically written on the drive is encrypted, is not a file system it knows how to interpret. On the other hand, if it was smart enough to hook the OS after the TrueCrypt bootloader had loaded, maybe it's smart enough. Or maybe, I mean, maybe they have this as a, as a TrueCrypt defeating mechanism, which could be possible. We just don't have enough information because, unfortunately, no one has ever been able to see into the firmware. All we saw was the the thing that was able to install it into the drive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Steve in Utah is looking for a low-level formatting tool. Steve, with all the wonderful free stuff you have, I'm wondering if you've ever written a low-level formatting program that can be used on my hard drive. If so, please tell me what it is called. And if you haven't written one, well, where could I get something like that? (laughs) Well... How, let me think. Have I ever written? <laughs> You'd have to a think. I'm sure. Level, a full low level, level, low level formatting what tool. Could that be? What could that be? Yeah, maybe just the preeminent sp- one spin, of the, spin the entire spin. entire history of human <laughs> mankind. Of course, famously, that's what Spinrite One was. It was the low-level formatting tool to end all low-level formatting not, not, not tools. Not famously enough, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what? How? Ha- yeah. So yes, I just I got a, I saw this. I said, "Oh, this is too much fun." That's great. I yes. Um, now, what Steve, of course, wants is I'm not sure um, because what happened is that that Spinrite's low-level formatting was so good that in order to be that good, it had to do a whole lot of other things that weren't about low-level formatting. Mm. That is, it had to have fabulous data recovery because once I low-level formatted the drive, I was never going to be able to recover data again. So I had to recover it first. And then drives stopped being low-level formatable, Mm. yet Spinrite continued not being a low-level formatter anymore because it couldn't be, no one could, but being a data recovery tool, it just sort of changed because it was always a fabulous data recovery tool and that part lived on. So 
So, Steve, I'm not sure why you want low-level formatting. It sounds like you want to zero the drive. And the low-level format command does still exist in drives. Anything, any low-level formatting tool, there's you can just, just Google low-level drive formatting tool. You can find one. When viruses are particularly upset with you, they will trigger the low-level format command, and your drive will start going... Now, it isn't low-level formatting. It is zeroing. So if that's what you want, they are all created equal. There's no way for one low-level formatter to be better than another because all they can, all any of them can do is issue one, one command to the drive, which is format, and the drive will go off and do that. So it's in the uh, drive firmware. Yeah, it's supported by the firmware, and no drives low-level format themselves because they all have all of this high-level intelligence on them. They've got sector pools, spares pools. They've got servoing information. Um, they've got all this management architecture actually living there on the surface of the drive. So they they no drives today actually perform a low-level format. They have converted it into a write zeros to the drive. And that's what they do. Yeah. Very good. So, Steve, you got one. You just didn't know it. Yeah. Tom in Indiana, he's a little worried about HTTP2, which we talked about last week. Will there be a way for browsers to still block ads, scripts, unwanted audio and video completely? That is, will browsers be able to block the remote web server's speculative push? If not, those of us with bandwidth limits, for instance, on, on wireless, uh, you know, 4G networks, and, and expensive servers are going to get hit hard. Blocking BS is easy now. <laughs> the program just modifies the page. But it seems now that a user will have to eat and pay for that BS even if it's not displayed as, a, as output, just it's cached. Great question. And this is, uh, I didn't get into the absolute weeds um, in, our, uh, in our discussion of HTTP2 last week. So a couple quick notes. The Each endpoint, the browser and the server, are able to, ex- well, by, by spec, ex- they exchange a settings frame which allows them to set their connection policies. So so the browser could constrain what the server is able to do. That is, not give it so many streams that it's just got free streams available to arbitrarily send things down to, to to the browser. The other important thing to note, which I didn't mention, is that the same origin policy still applies to server push. That is, remember that we're making one connection between the web browser and the server at one domain. So the same, the, the same origin policy is what we've talked about often in the way um, browser pages are restricted, um, like the like script from a given origin cannot just arbitrarily go and get resources from some other origin, from some other domain name. It's only able to make queries from the same origin. Well, same origin applies to server push, meaning that there's no way for other domains' content 
to get mixed in or pushed to the browser. But finally, and most importantly, the way the mechanism that, that implements server push is actually called a push promise frame. The push promise frame is sent by the server to the browser saying, I recommend that you allow me to push the following content. And that push promise identifies the resource. So the browser has to not decline the, the server's suggestion, and it can. For example, it might respond, no need, I've got it in my cache. So that's the way we solve the problem of, of a, an aggressively pushy server saying, hey, let me send you everything else on this page. Um, instead, what it sends is it sends intent to push, essentially, and the browser can very quickly decline those that it, that it doesn't wish to have. Those could be ads that it doesn't want to take the time. But remember, ads are typically going to be coming from a different origin anyway. So they, there wouldn't be ads coming up that same stream unless the same server was wanting to, to serve ad content, for example, to solve the problem of, of, of cookies not being tracked across domains and so forth, which it's conceivable some servers would. But more importantly, the browser has to say, yeah, I don't know about that. Go ahead. Send it when you have a chance. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Send yeah. it along. Yeah, when you have, yeah, when you've got some spare time. <laughs> Joe Meaty, uh, I'm sorry to say, in St Stratford, Connecticut, had a crypto wall encounter. I'm sorry to hear that, Joe. Steve and Leo love Security Now and the other shows on Tech TV. I like it that he called it Tech TV. That's exactly what it is. I watch them on my Roku. It's tech for your TV. While I was watching the Tech Guy show... Live on Sunday, my wife calls down to me from the home office and says, Oh, hey, Joe. Joe. Joe, <laughs> I can't open the QuickBooks file. I get an error that says I may have the crypto wall virus. So I ran up into the office, and sure enough, she's got the virus. I shut down the computer immediately while I was in the process of encrypting her files, and I managed to stop it from going any further. What a terrible way to interrupt a live Twitch show, he says. I didn't yeah. add that. He added that. I booted up Ubuntu. Oh, Joe, thank goodness you're there. So I could copy off any data that was not compromised. Fortunately, oh, Joe, I'm loving you even more. My wife was not an administrator. Actually, I'm wondering now how she got it. I've read that CryptoWall makes a copy of your data file. It encrypts it, then deletes the original file. I was wondering if I could recover some of the files by undeleting them. Is that possible? Probably he gave his wife the administrator password. And um, so when actually, what we know is that that CryptoWall cannot delete the um, the the what are they the the system restore copies. So you can still get infected with with CryptoWall oh. locally, but it cannot make the deep okay. deletes right. that your system really. If you're needs. not an administrator, right. He uh, said, I'm wondering if I could recover some of the files by undeleting them. Is that possible? Can you recommend a good tool to use to undelete files? I think she got the virus from an email from one of her clients, possibly a family yeah. member. Yep. I, I'd like to track down the source of the infection. Can you give me any guidance in that matter? I was thinking about trusting or using a virtual machine to track down the email or website. Unfortunately, not all her pictures were backed up. Oh, oh sigh. She's pretty upset and even considered paying the ransom. I told her not to. 
Her machine was an XP machine. This happened while I was in the process of getting her new hard drive up and running with Windows 7. One more day, and I would have been done. Oh, any help is okay. appreciated. So what I, the best thing to do for Joe and anybody else is bleepingcomputer.com. Great site. Yes, that's the site. I, rather than trying to go through all the possible variations, this does put you in self, self-help mode, but clearly Joe is up to the task. I mean, look at everything else that, that, that he did. He, you know, firing up Ubuntu and getting all the, un, the not yet fully encrypted files off. Um, there you will find forums, and they've got one devoted to crypto wall where you'll find a bunch of unfortunately, people who are in similar straits and pointers to all the best tools and solutions and commentary, write-ups on the state of the art in how to, how to deal with it. CryptoWall just came out with v- version 3.0, uh, which uh, uses Tor more deeply. Um, it gives people more time. I think, it, you, I think 2.0 only gave you like five days. This, this one gives you a longer grace period. So, you know, it's not gone uh, it's still bad, but bleepingcomputer.com, that's where you want to go. Uh, find the right forum to, to, to tackle CryptoWall, um, and we'll just turn you loose with that, Joe. Do you, ha- do you have an underleader you recommend? I don't have any favorite underleader. Um, yeah, I it don't know. It all started with Norton, right? That was the first one I used. Yep. I think that, that was, was one of his, his well, first, that was, that was his first program. That's what put him on the map. Norton Undelete. Remember that yep. well. Peter Norton. In the original PC, I don't know if it's still true in Windows, it was an upside-down E. They replaced the first letter of the file. E5 was the character. <laughs> <laughs> it appeared on the screen as an upside-down E. Yep. And uh, that's how you knew it was deleted. That's all it did. Yep. Well, actually... It, <laughs> I guess it would remove it, it from the catalog I mean, or something, right? Yeah, yeah. well, no, it... it overwrote the first character in the directory right and then it released all the the chain of of allocation right. the allocation chain in the fat but it didn't overwrite the first cluster which was part of the directory so when, so when you wanted to undelete you'd go through and look for the e5s you oh and there was a way to tell what that was or no no uh, it I, th- I think it would prompt you, what do you think the first character of this file was? And you'd go, oh, you know, it would say, you know, blurch erity, and you'd right. go, oh, security. <laughs> and, um, and so so that would give it the name, and then what it would do is it would it would have in that directory entry the first cluster of the file. So you could always get that back if you hadn't done much writing since then. But the other thing the FAT tried to do was, was it – it wrote in a in a go through the drive forward and then loop back to the beginning and overwrite. So even so, it would generally not be writing over what you had done. And so then it would sort of heuristically look at the file allocation table and check to see whether that cluster was free and was the one but you know next to it free. And what about the one after that? And after that and after that. And so it would try to rebuild the original contiguous cl- block of of clusters to to end up meeting the length of the file which was also stored in the directory. So it there was a lot of information there, you know. Peter did the work um and uh and created the world's first undelete utility and uh made a lot of money. 
Mark Goldstein, Northern Virginia, notes the world is changing. Mark, wow, really? <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be sarcastic. For the past 15 years, I've been in cybersecurity and privacy. Whenever I would meet someone at a cocktail party, whatever happened to cocktail parties? That's another thing gone, right, Mark? <laughs> they would ask what I did for a living, and almost immediately after hearing, they would suddenly realize, I think I need to freshen my drink. But lately, with cyber something on the front page news, now everybody wants to ask questions about security and encryption and so on. Even the U.S. president is talking about encryption and the need for government monitoring, metadata and such. We cyber geeks are becoming much more relevant now. Have you noticed that, Steve? <laughs> you get asked at the cocktail parties? Uh, yep. When I'm, when I'm involved in computers and security, people are like, oh, Internet security? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Very nice. That's a big thing. Very nice. Then they go freshen their drink. <laughs> yeah. It's a short conversation, I've noticed. You finish a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> they don't they don't run. <laughs> Mike Woolard in Ohio wants to use Squirrel in a multi-user environment. My company is looking into implementing Squirrel with our web applications. More than thirty percent of our customer service calls are password related. That that's probably low for some companies. And Squirrel should zero that. We offer a SaaS software as a service B2B solution where the users of the application are generally not tech-savvy, and in an environment where multiple users tend to share workstations to use our application. That makes sense. They'd have to have separate passwords, each of them. Because of the password issue, oh, they also tend uh, to share accounts. <laughs> that's not what we not. want. <laughs> well, that's one way to get around it. Why have extra passwords? We want to avoid having the user log on and off Windows to use Squirrel for authenticating onto our sites. I see from... Uh, Squirrel's documentation, there's a flag that can be set to always ask the user to select an identity. And he's reading up on Squirrel at grc.com slash squirrel. Just wonder uh, how the details, uh, uh, how this works. If you've had any other suggestions for implementing it in an environment like this, thanks. And I am a Spinrite user, he says, for five plus years. That's an interesting use. Yeah, actually, I anticipated this because of the, the I would say, the multi-squirrel household, but actually the multi-user, <laughs> the multi-user household. You know, many, many places have a shared machine. Sometimes the, the computer's yours and there's no one logging into it. That's like the case of, for me, my main workstation and so forth. But many families have, you know, accounts for all of the different people in the household. With Squirrel, you can, first of all, have multiple identities. You don't need one for yourself. That's the whole point of Squirrel. And in fact, I, I go through some lengths to make sure if they're creating another identity that it's actually for another person. That is, I don't want them to think, oh, I need to create an identity for every website. So no, 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 that's the whole point. One ID, maybe for the rest of your life. But you wouldn't want, you know, your son to use your Squirrel identity. Now, unless you gave him your Squirrel password, he couldn't. Because you need you are prompted for that in order to make sure that you didn't walk away and leave your you know leave the computer on um, and with, with Squirrel able to stand in for you to authenticate you all over the internet. So um, so there's two choices. You can change the identity that Squirrel will use. So you can you can create multiple identities for multiple people and name them. You know Johnny, Dad, Mom, Susie. Um, and, and if you realize that when you sit down, oh, squirrel is set to dad and you see that in the, right in very promptly in the first dialogue. And if you don't 
change it. Your password, your password won't work for dad's identity, you know, dad's squirrel identity. So you can change it. But it occurred to me in an environment where people might be frequently changing, setting an option in squirrel so that it always it proactively asks you to select from a drop-down list box which user do you want to authenticate as. That's how we handle that. So it's one additional step, but it's very quick, and that just allows you to say, "Yeah, I'm I'm Joey," and then here's and then you, Joey types in his password, and off he goes with Squirrel with his with with Joey's Squirrel identity being the one that will authenticate him on the internet. So, Mike, it's entirely. Uh, operable in your in your situation it'll work excellent a good use for it in fact yeah in a previous episode uh, steve this comes to us from uh, steve in alton illinois in a previous episode uh, you mentioned that ddos attacks could mostly be prevented if all isps checked for traffic having originated uh, origination ip addresses that are outside their network Spoof traffic, traffic attempting to exit from the network. I'll, I'll rephrase this. If ISPs simply said no packets can come from our network without having an origination address within our network. Perfect. So I'm wondering why this seemingly simple precaution isn't being done. Would this stop all of these attacks or just certain kinds? For instance, if the server being attacked was within the same ISP as the attacker... Actually, it's vice versa. Well, I'll let you explain. Or they use a UDP or SMTP instead of TCP IP. Would doing this cause any other networking type problems with, for instance, VPNs or other types of forwarding? Why aren't ISPs doing this? Or is it just because it would be expensive? Why, Steve? Why? I want to know the same thing. Why not? Yeah. I mean, many in the industry are wondering. And it's, 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 it, this is the, this is the tendency that Google is being so proactive about over on the security side. Um, it'd be wonderful if they had some way of enforcing this uh, with ISPs. It is just laziness. It is. It doesn't seem to be a big problem. It's called egress filtering. You filter the traffic egressing from your network. Ingress is coming to you. Egress is leaving. And so all you have to do is drop packets that do not origin, do not carry a source IP originating from that network. And you can, I can't and think of a single reason why anybody would legitimately be doing that. There is none. And there's no so there's reason no, why something coming from your network shouldn't have an IP address within your network. Correct. Now, if it, it does doesn't, because they're spoofing stack, IP addresses. Exactly, that's the only reason. It's a, it is a, it, it is a breakage of the fundamental IP layer for anyone to put an an address other than their own in the outgoing packet. And in fact, you can't do it. Your OSs will not let you do it at the at, at the at the software level. You have no control. And this was why was, you were upset about raw sockets in Windows ex XP. Exactly. You should not have that control. Now, there if are, you're a Linux user, you can do it, obviously. I mean, there, there's software that operating systems let you do it. You, Unix, has always, you do it. Unix has always allowed it if you had root privileges. Even there, Unix original guy said nobody should log on as root. 
Nobody should be able to overwrite the source IP in outbound packets. And 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 if you if so if you're not logged on as root and you can't overwrite the the source IP, you can't do it even on Unix. Yeah. But the problem was the raw socket technology was there and bad guys get root privileges, then they can do it. So the, the, the final piece of Steve's question is, does this completely solve the problem? No. Bec- but, for example, the traffic, we, we, uh, recently we were talking about DNS reflection attacks where you send a little query to a DNS server and it sends a big response back. You want to spoof your source IP when you send a DNS query out to Google's DNS servers so that it sends it back, it thinks it's sending it back to you, it sends it back to your victim instead. Where this won't help is TCP. So, for example, if if HTTP queries are being used to flood a server, an HTTP server, with valid requests for pages, those cannot have a spoof. So so TCP um, flooding would be blocked by, by egress filtering. The fact is all ISPs should be doing egress filtering because it, it blocks all the SIN floods and, and the, the uh, DNS uh, spoofing attacks. It, it, it blocks a huge class of them. Not all, but enough that it's, it's worthwhile and it's so simple to do. They just, they just don't because... You know, they didn't do it last week or the week before, and everything seems fine. You know, the same, there's kind of an analogous situation with port 25 and spam. For a yep. long time, ISPs would allow you to basically serve, have an email sending uh, device on your local PC and spam people. And eventually, right. uh, yeah, and one of the reasons they didn't disable port 25 is because it would cost them a lot of money for all that they thought for all the tech support calls they'd be getting. Why can't I use port 25? I don't think they got any, but let's say that's why they didn't. Eventually, just public opinion forced them. And most ISPs now block port 25, right? They don't. Right. They don't allow you to have your own mail right. server. Right. Um, 25 um, and uh, uh, like uh, the, uh, the, the the Windows uh, file sharing ports; those are all blocked. One thirty-five, yeah. yep, one thirty-five, one thirty-nine, four forty-three. You just can't use those because they're just—they've been so troublesome in the right. past. Uh, and it, it is probably the case when you're a Comcast and you have literally tens of millions of customers that even if one tenth of one percent call your service, call your your helpline because something's not working. But I can't think of anything that would be broken. By and we can this. see what the quality of the service that yeah. Comcast provides oh, is. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons, right? Uh, it's expensive worth, to give you good. Exactly, service. they can't. They can't, can't afford to put Unix gurus on the phone. Right. <laughs> would it, also very important uh, mitigation would be to get rid of these amplification attacks and NTP servers and so forth need to be patched. Yes, because yes. Uh, you I, you still probably don't want to use your own IP address when you're uh, launching a, an amplification attack, but. No, it'll just come right right back at you. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. You need to spoof that, don't you? You <laughs> yeah. have to spoof that. I just flooded myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's what I would do. Well, let me just see. I'd like to try an amplification attack. Wait a minute. Where'd my internet go? Uh, you, good point. You have to spoof the IP address. Peter Sisak, S-Y-S-A-K, in Ontario, Ottawa, Canada, wonders about Spinrite parallel operation. Just bought a copy of Spinrite. Smiley face. 
to use for various purposes, one of which being to maintain my five two-terabyte NAS drives. Five drives, each two terabytes. I'd like to know if Spinrite will process the drives in parallel. In other words, can I plug in all five or, or two and have Spinrite work its magic in parallel? I'm currently running drives one at a time, so doubling up or more would be terrific. Because as we know, Spinrite could take a while. Thanks, Steve. Keep up the great work. I emailed you guys a while ago and mentioned I had started listening to Security Now from number one. I am catching up. Let's see. We're at episode 496, soon to hit our 500th episode. Where is he? Episode hey. 157. You've got a way to go, dude. <laughs> Can't wait to Hey, but up. he's going to be fully tuned up by the time he gets there. Yeah, good news. <laughs> okay, so so um, as soon as Squirrel is wrapped, and I should say, I, 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 don't, I haven't been talking about it much, but we're making great progress. There's now the, the, a full uh, login demo uh, account system is online. A, a di Squirrel protocol diagnostics is online. Um, that there is a, a Mac OS 10 client is up and running and in beta. iOS client is up and running. Uh, 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 Drupal and there's some X. Is it Drupal seven? Oh, uh, Drupal seven is that something? Drupal, I, I, Drupal seven is the is the latest version. Yeah. Okay. Then then we we, we have that uh, is upline a, a test server a command line. Uh, client is is in the works. I mean, this it's all wow, that's happening. That's great. So, once that's behind me, my logic is to do something to hold everyone over while I completely rewrite Spinrite. So, six point one is the sort of the catch up. That's why I'm making it free. Um, it will reduce the time to run Spinrite on one drive to about one terabyte per hour. So that means a two terabyte drive will take two hours. So that's way faster than we've had. Um, but, on, but, but it will not do multiple drives at once because none of the architecture in, none of the existing infrastructure in Spinrite supports that. That is the absolute wish list. One of the main features of seven will be that I will spin up and simultaneously run Spinrite on every drive you have, and they will all be running at one terabyte per hour. I can do that. I'm writing in an assembly code. The hardware can do that. So nothing is going to stop me. The reason I'm not doing it first is I, I need to get – I need to, to bring Spinrite up to where it should be so that people are okay while I work on 7. And seven will have a GUI and all do and be file system aware and all kinds of stuff. But that's a big project. So I, six one will make it way faster um, and practical to run on today's you know multi terabyte drives. Whereas it's you know it's, it's still it's still painful. But everybody gets six point one for free. Nice. Finally, question ten. Andy in Alabama. He wonders what are you doing with Java on your site? What? Steve, love the podcast, and I've heard you talk often about how unsafe Java in the browser is. I just noticed the big number calculator on GRC requires the user to have Java installed. Hey, I understand it's served over TLS from your site, TNO aside, but wouldn't having Java installed open users up to malicious applets on other sites? With the recent JavaScript optimizations, is there some reason you don't use ASM.js or something like that? So... It's a really good question. I have really no defense. 
um, I was using that big number calculator, which I did not write. Um, but uh, like all the time when I was doing things like password haystacks and perfect paper passwords, when, all those times where I want to know what is 2 to the power of 326. Um, and I don't want like, it, oh, it lets about 10 to the 77 or something. I want digits. And this thing gives them to you. Anyway, it's just so cool that I decided to to grab the Java and put it on grc.com where I had easy access to it. And I thought, well, since I want it, maybe it would be handy for other people. So, yeah, I guess it to the degree that it requires Java. And I, I mean, I have Java on my system. I need it for all kinds of things. Eclipse is Java-based. Other things that I use are Java-based. I mean, you know, real Java. But I'm also using Firefox with no script. And Java in the browser is completely disabled. In fact, there's no plugin for Java in Firefox. And I've got Java security turned up from, you know, Sun Java's uh, uh, control has it has it disabled in the browser. So it's possible to turn Java off for the browser now in, in, in latest versions of Java so that it's not a problem for the browser. You would need to turn it on for GRC if you wanted to use the big number calculator that I've got there. But, you know, it's possible to have it installed and keep it away from your browser. So, um, oh, and I, and I also saw this because I, I saw the note about SM.js and I got a big kick out of Microsoft poking Google in the eye because SM.js is the Mozilla solution for super fast scripting, super fast JavaScript. Google does not offer it. Microsoft is supporting it in, in, uh, in Windows 10 and in the next version of Internet Explorer. So I thought that was I saw that and I thought oh okay yeah that's interesting maybe huh? maybe 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 uh, Chromium will consider it yeah yeah it's neat it's a the idea is that it is a subset of Java which can be m m compiled much more efficiently Java is a so-called automatic language where you know things like first use of a variable defines its type and it determines a lot from context and it it automatically allocate storage and then has a garbage collector to determine as best it can when that's no longer necessary. All of those things impose a huge burden on the interpreter and end up slowing your code down. But you, you, you can use a proper subset of JavaScript that deliberately eschews any, any use of those things and boy, you can then compile that down to something that screams, which is the, the which which the beauty of that is you're still writing in JavaScript, 100 percent legal JavaScript. Um, or I should say the compiler is because you'd, you'd rather take something like maybe a, a C sharp compiler and compile that to a sem.js. And then you've got something written in a high level language, which also runs on all the browsers that support that support a sem.js. I'm a little confused by the interchangeability of Java and JavaScript. You're writing a set, you're writing Java in JavaScript. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm sorry. You're right. I did. We though um, his you've his note the hell out of me here. <laughs> yeah, his, his note says why, why don't he, you he use ASM.js, which is yeah. a hyperfast JavaScript, 
And you could have recoded Big Num Generator, but you'd have to rewrite it. You didn't write the original. Correct. I think he assumed I wrote it because it was on GRC, even though on the site I do do have a link to where I got it from and give credit to the original author because the guy did a great job. We should also point out that uh, it's fine to put Java on your system. Disable the browser extension. Disable browser support. Use Java locally only. And then Java is not any more dangerous than anything else. No, Java, in fact, is a very mature, nice language. The problem, the, the, the mistake Sun ever made was in saying, oh, think how amazing it'll be if people can just download Java applets in, and run them in their browser. Yeah, somebody called Adobe thought that would be really yeah. good, too. Well, you know, I have to say they did a lot about sandboxing. I mean, they knew that there was a risk to that, and they, they thought After they were writing After a huge amount safe. of pain. Yeah. Remember how much pain we went through. Right. I mean, well, we, because of we ActiveX, endured this. We knew that, jo- that the idea of running code in a browser is a bad idea. You know, bad. Yeah. bad. Local, local code downloaded to your browser is a bad idea. Right. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter because that's ancient history. Nobody uses Java anymore. No. Anyway. Uh, and can I ask you one question? Uh, question 11 from Leo uh, in Petaluma, California. Yeah. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were talking about this on MacBreak Weekly, and I was curious about FaceTime versus Skype and whether one is more trustworthy than the other. Both claim to be encrypted, do they not? Oh, I would FaceTime by hands down. But that's because you trust Apple over Microsoft. Well, it's because I, I, I trust at least Apple is making all the right noises. We know that Skype has been compromised. We know for a fact that that Skype's security can be monitored by by uh, under request from the NSA. I mean, it, it, they shut down the relay servers so that now that no longer exists. They Microsoft did a number of things specifically to to allow eavesdropping on Skype ah, conversations. Okay. okay. So, yeah, because one of the things I remember is uh, uh, Gary Kasparov, who was a, US, a world champion uh, yeah. chess player. Chess. He ran for president of Russia, and he said, I will only use Skype because otherwise the uh, Russian police are spying on me. He I trusted that, 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 but old that was pre, Yeah, it was old Skype. It was pre-Microsoft's acquisition. So you're saying Microsoft has compromised Skype. Proactively compromised right. Skype in order in order to make it a and you know a I mean and there was some logic to it I mean I mean I mean they explicitly said we need to be able to comply with telecommunications warrants if we're served with them so under those right. circumstances we will whereas Apple is at least still saying we will refuse those okay. It doesn't strike me as exactly a technical difference. It's more of a belief that one company is going to protect you more. If I had to, yeah. If 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 I were asked which seems more trustworthy, I would say FaceTime is currently. But if you really needed it, you you want to layer a third party TNO application on top. Right. I mean, use secure voice or uh, uh, silent red phone or silent circle. Yeah, Yeah, because those are open source encryption technologies, and you know those are secure. Whereas yep. here, I, I just it strikes me you're saying, not you particularly, but the people in general are saying, well, I trust Apple, and I think that that's a. F- I love Apple. I'm not saying don't trust. Oh, them. And, you know, and I've been screaming but about trust the fact no one that is I, trust I, I, no one. Not yes, trust no, no one, one except and, Apple. And, 
And the problem with it's the problem with iMessage, for example, is key management. Apple does your key management, and if if some if you're if you're outsourcing your key management, you know you no longer right. have TNO, right? Because they could easily. I mean, when I'm sending a an, an iMessage out to multiple people, Apple has sent me all of their public keys, which I use to multiply encrypt the message out to each of them, right? Nothing prevents Apple from from tossing the NSA in there. There's right. no visibility into key management. That's the problem. Yeah, and even the EFF and its uh, scorecard, which we've mentioned uh, before. Great, uh, great site. Yeah, yep. um, talks. And CryptoCat is all green checks. FaceTime, yep. I have to point out, is not all green checks. Yep. Um, but neither is uh, <laughs> neither a lot of, neither is iMessage, Kick Message. There are a lot of solutions. There are really only a few that are. You know, OTR um, encryption is the way to go, and only a few. Signal, Red Phone, we mentioned. Silent Text, we mentioned. Um, Telegram, Text Secure. There, there are only a handful, and FaceTime yeah, uh, is not one of them. No, I mean it's going to be the it's going to be the tools that are explicitly privacy enforcing. Right. Okay, I just wanted to, I wanted to clarify that. I, mostly, I wanted to understand: is it a technical thing, or is it a, kind of a, a it's almost political. It's a, what, who you trust, who you believe. Uh, the difference between them, yes. Yeah. Yes. And we don't know of a technical we, – we suspect that Microsoft is – well, they've even said they are, so I guess – Yeah, they have said they are. Yeah. The problem is secret courts. <laughs> That's the real problem yeah, in the yeah, Patriot Act. Yeah, exactly. That's the real the, problem. The, yeah. Well, and, and arguably an outlaw law enforcement. If you're hacking Jamal, uh, Jamalto's – network in order to steal the private keys of the sim cards right. that's an that's outlaw law enforcement right. i'm sorry it is you know yeah it, yeah yeah and 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 you're and you're doing it to circumvent oh the 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 court system that was put in place for allowing you to obtain those keys legally you're saying ah oh, that's too much trouble we'd just rather have them all trust us yeah well the other thing they say is it's okay they're not u.s citizens so <laughs> who cares yeah <laughs> Who cares? They don't count. Oh, what a world. Steve Gibson, Indeed. thank you for making this a much, much safer world for all of us. If you go to grc.com, you can find this show, 16 kilobit audio of it, full text transcripts written by Elaine uh, that make it very easy to fo follow along. He also has Spin Right There. That's his bread and butter, the world's finest hard drive. Maintenance and recovery utility used and to be the world's finest low-level low formatting level utility. But hey, can we had you to do low-level formatting through SpinRight? I took it out. <laughs> Turned out the I extra I, stuff was better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in fact, somebody had an old, old machine, and f and f neither five nor six would run on it. So I, I sent him a copy. Actually, I opened. I, I have a copy of three point one on the shelf wow. up there. I I opened the box. And took out the diskettes, and then I think I mentioned how 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 hard it was to get the copy of three point one to him because email That's is right. so is so tightened down these days. So finally, I put a link on the servers that here. To click the link, then tell me when you have, and I'll take That's it off. Right. So, but that one will still that'll do low level formatting on a drive from the eighties. <laughs> Uh, if you want audio and video of this show, you can get it from our site as well, twit.tv slash SN, youtube.com slash security now, uh, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, or get the app, 
There are podcast apps, yes, but also there's Twit apps on every platform. We don't make them. We thank our third-party developers who do that. Uh, you'll find them there. Steve is at SGGRC on Twitter. Follow him there for updates all week long. It's a good place to ask questions, too, or GRC.com slash feedback. In two weeks, we'll do a feedback episode. What are we going to do next week? Car hacking. Oh, that's right. We got the car hackers yeah. themselves. We got the guys who did the actual hack and can tell us how they pulled it off nice. with all the kind of detail that our audience wants. Nice. I can't yes, wait. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next time. Okay, my friend. Security now.